0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 12th episode of the Exploring Antinatalism podcast, a podcast all about the subject of antinatalism created by antinatalists. My name is Amanda Oldfansukinik, also known as Feverwolf Films on YouTube, and today I'm so excited to be joined by the author of Every Cradle is a Grave, Sarah Perry. So welcome, Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I love doing podcasts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All right, so let's uh, let's let's violate some sacredness, huh? Um, So, of course, you are the author of "Every Cradle Is a Grave." um, But before we begin speaking about your book, I was curious if you could just tell me a little bit about yourself and the work and the writing that you've done over the years.
1: Well, I started blogging, sort of in the golden age of blogging, I guess, around two thousand six, two thousand seven. And I, it was kind of how I learned how to write. Like yeah. Just, and, yeah, kind of having having this encounter with philosophy uh, and being, it, I feel like I was a very different person then. Mm-hmm. Um, taking it so seriously that I, I don't think I've taken anything that seriously in the rest of my whole life. Like,
0: yeah, <laughs> the, yeah
1: the time that I spent like just kind of having this really, I guess trying to have a really rich model in my head and trying to also trying to be correct. And, yeah. And I still, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm at that point at all. I think my, my focus has kind of changed, but um, uh-huh. so yeah. So I, so that was the a kind of blogging period. The view from hell was my blog at that time. Yeah. Um, I met the um chip smith is his name my yes the the guy who published every cradle is a grave and he was we were friends when i was still blogging he was kind of you know bouncing off ideas each other against each other at that point and he uh proposed that i write a book so and kind of helped me put it together just you know every week trying to turn something into a chapter and yeah um and that was, that was something I never thought I'd do, I'd write a book. That <laughs> yeah. Was both, both easier and harder in different ways than I thought it would be.
0: Right. Okay. Excellent.
1: Yeah, I guess that was like six years ago. I don't know what I've been doing since then, screwing around. I write, <laughs> I write on, I wrote on Ribbon Farm. I haven't done that too much lately. Mm. And Ribbon Farm is a Venkatesh Bank- Rao's blog. I was a contributing editor for a while. I would usually write something every month and yeah. And now I kind of don't know what I'm up to as far as writing, just writing something when I feel like it, trying to figure out how fiction works. and now that now that the novel is dead, I feel like it's a good time to start exploring fiction.
0: <laughs> oh, have you have you been writing a novel?
1: Oh yeah. oh yeah, yeah, it's uh, well, it's, it's actually the second one I've started. So I, oh. I wrote about a third of a novel and now I have another maybe third of a novel.
0: <laughs> so. Oh wow. okay, that's but, exciting. Yeah yeah,
1: yeah, it's fun.
0: Okay, I, I'd definitely love to ask you more about that in a little bit. Um can can you tell me uh when and how you first encountered the subject of antinatalism?
1: Oh yeah. Um yeah, it was kind of like like an addiction. I don't really believe this, but people talk about hitting rock bottom. Yeah. And <laughs> I had this it wasn't it wasn't related to drugs or addiction or anything, but I kind of feel like I had a a life rock bottom and that was the point at which i kind of encountered this uh, like like world flipping value flipping idea that was amazing to me because it made so much sense yeah it made sense of you know kind of everything and yet it was so not making sense to, to a lot of other people so it was, it was very polarizing kind of the you know, yeah. you know who was the there's a there's a term a scissor statement from, uh-huh you know scott alexander is the i don't Star Codex. I, a, I know that term blogger. though yeah yeah, yeah yeah so yeah just something that yeah so it was, it was very interesting it seemed like the whole core of of the meaning of life or whatever was this very contested thing and i was i think i think at first i really had hopes from my kind of stem rationalist background that there would just be an answer and it was just silliness thinking that there weren't just answers to these questions and and i was I was pretty disappointed by what analytic philosophy had to offer but I it was, yeah, I'm glad I went through that I think it was it was fun it was a good way to, to spend my time and and it changed my brain
0: yeah <laughs> was your introduction to antinatalism in the form of say David Benatar or yeah. other things on the internet okay yeah
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, so I read. I don't know what I was reading that was that was like next to that, but there was something I was reading other non-American kind of English, anglosphere philosophers. Uh, I can't think of the guy's name. An Australian and and Benatar was sort of in that group for some reason. And okay, and yeah, I, I got a hold of of uh, better never to have been, and and I had just I, mean, I was I was seriously into. Parfits reasons and persons at that time, anyway, which is okay. something that he takes pretty seriously in that. And, yeah. and I, lo- I love reasons and persons for different reasons, not just the, the sort of theory X that the population theory that, that Benatar takes very seriously. But so it was just like all of these things that I took as normal or took as sort of foundational could be interpreted in these strange ways. And it was almost like antinatalism is very connected to trolling in my mind. I think trolling is very okay. important. And it was just like, what you could and I think that's that's a lot of what philosophy is at its best like that's what Socrates is doing and that's what Wittgenstein is doing uh-huh. I mean so yeah I think that's they're, they're inherently connected in my mind I can't separate them because it's it's so ridiculous from one point of view and it's so it makes so much sense from another point of view and it, it makes everybody mad and yeah the, like the ur-troll that all of the trolls like sprout out of I don't know <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I listened to the podcast that you did with uh, Guy McPherson on uh, the, oh, yeah, uh, Nature oh, Bats Last. Yeah, yeah, it was quite a while ago. I think in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and um, I know that in that interview you said something about trolling, and and um, yeah. I just thought it was so funny because, but it's, by trolling you mean sort of like in its in, in the in the sense of how disruptive it is. Yeah. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can that, agree. So with I
1: that. Think, yeah, trolling is one of those things. Like, what one thing I'm obsessed with now is the idea of how we deal with abstract nouns like okay any kind of any kind of word you want to you want to think about that people take seriously like philosophy or discuss
0: or yeah.
1: um yeah psychology anything like that like there's like like we we can use those and we we sort of seem to know what each other means some of the time um I think trolling is one of those abstract nouns where people mean a lot it has a lot of richness and it's always getting used in different ways right and we can we can learn a lot from it there's always going to be more there i don't think there's like one definition and part of i think it, it has to do with the sort of trickster move it has to do with
0: Uh uh-huh.
1: um recognizing that you're not epistemically grounded when you might be tempted to think that you are and okay yeah, the, the most important important person to troll is yourself.
0: Right. So. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 fascinating. I, I, I think yeah. I understand what and you often mean.
1: Often it's the best person, you're best at trolling yourself.
0: Well, you have the consent to control yourself, right? Like yeah. when it comes to, you know, <laughs> when, it, when it comes to internet trolling, it's a bit more of a violation, yeah. let's say. But yeah, I, I understand what you mean, right? All right. Well, um, so you talked a little bit about this already, but like, what what did inspire you to just you know actually sit down and write "Every Cradle Is a Grave"? And what was the process of writing uh, the book well, was like just, for you?
1: Yeah, just uh, the constant, ongoing surprise of not being able to communicate this idea that I thought was so clear, and just yeah. hitting my head against it over and over. And and a lot of people have said they. They read my book. They still don't agree with it, but they really enjoyed it. And they took a lot out of it. So whatever, whatever effort that was for me at the time, early on, it was just like convincing people. Like this is the most important thing they have to believe. I'm right. They have to believe this is true.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now it doesn't, it feels like I don't put myself as, as in that privileged of a place anymore that it's more like, well, this is wild. Can you believe this follows from these <laughs> other things or like, I don't know. It's, it, it doesn't seem that important to be writing. It's more important to have you know, interesting conversations.
0: <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. You know. um, and ju- you wrote the book in 2014. It was published in 2014. I, yeah, but
1: 2014. So that was, so I was living in San Antonio and I was, yeah, writing like a chapter a week or so and sending them a okay. ship and revising my, my outline, my, what do you call it? a table of contents. and Yeah. Yeah, and some of it was was based on stuff I'd written before and some of it was was new. I think the 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 part I most regret is just spending so much time lovingly like I don't wanna use a naughty word, but being really excited about Jonathan Haidt. Like, oh. <laughs> like as if like it's my personal savior. <laughs> he's, he's fine. He's fine, but I I, I cringe at taking any psychological idea that seriously now that one okay one of those abstract nouns that's been reduced to a questionnaire that right i i feel kind of silly about that i still think he's one of the best in his field but Mm -hmm. i cringe at at taking that that seriously i
0: i didn't i didn't uh have a feeling like you you've overused him so to speak in the book but but yeah okay interesting Mm -hmm. um Again, you spoke a little bit about this earlier, but I mean, what was the general reaction to Every Cradle is a Grave, um, especially from, in antinatalist circles? How did you perceive the, the reaction to it?
1: Um, I can't really remember.
0: That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it was a it while ago.
1: good. Yeah, it yeah. good. I have, like, I don't really, I don't really read too many comments or reviews these days. So it, okay. I wasn't doing it too much then, like, When people bother to, like, reach out and say, you know, they liked it, usually they're not going to reach out and say, like, you're horrible, I can't believe what a terrible book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I actually think it's safe to say it's probably one of the most beloved uh, books in antenatalist circles. Yeah, absolutely, without question. (laughs) Uh, I myself have read it twice, um, and there was so much in, in my second reading of it that I hadn't you know, fully absorbed. I mean, it gets, every time I look at it, you know, I I find new things and I'm like, wow, she actually really did address that, which is amazing. Uh, Because you do address a lot of things that a lot Mm -hmm. of antinatalist works don't. Um, Out of curiosity, do you follow the development of antinatalism online at all through social media? I know you're on Twitter, but do you follow Reddit and Facebook and YouTube and all that?
1: Not really. Mm -hmm. My, I, I have a hard time sustaining interest in anything for more than a month or two. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> <laughs> like one, like right now I'm really into like, like MMA strategy videos. I don't fight at all. Okay. I've never, but that's what yeah. that's my current obsession right
0: now. Cool. Very, very cool. <laughs> I, I like no, martial I arts myself. So no, I
1: don't, I don't really follow the, the development of, of that. I don't know. Is there, has there like, what's, what's going on lately? What is, what is up with the.
0: It's been very interesting the last couple of years. So like, so for my part, you know, I started being involved with this about 10 years ago, because there was this massive explosion of interest uh, in the subject on YouTube, about 10 years ago, and, you know, lots of response videos back and forth about the idea. And, you know, I, so for my part, I've just been sort of involved with it ever since I made a movie about the subject. Um, oh, wow yeah and uh but yeah in the last year there's been just this explosion uh, of antinatalism in places like india there was a guy named Mm -hmm. rafael samuel who uh didn't even do it but he threatened to sue his parents for giving him life and there was yeah and it was it was extra like just the amount of international coverage of this Uh was unbelievable Uh so it's uh yeah we're sort of at that at, at a point now where people are starting to organize more there's a South American antinatalist Facebook group. Sorry, Facebook group with a hundred thousand members. Wow. Um, there's a group that originates in Lebanon and and Egypt that has over seventy thousand. So wow. internationally, it's it's become really quite huge. Or starting. Egypt. To. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's it, it it's uh, it's developing in ways that blow my mind. Really, like you'd never you'd never think that that would happen. You know. Yeah,
1: you're blowing my mind. I would not have predicted
0: that. <laughs> I'll have to send you some links when we're when yeah. we're uh, yeah. later on. Yeah, because it, it is it yeah. is kind of extraordinary. Um, the front cover of your book was, of course, drawn by the great Jack uh, Kevorkian. I was wondering yeah. if you could tell me about uh, what your interactions with Jack Kevorkian was like. Did you only have contact I, with him through sadly, email?
1: Yeah, I never met him. Uh, my chip went to his lawyers to get permission. It was right before he died.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Um, and, yeah, I never, unfortunately, I never met him. Respect what he did with his life, putting yeah. his skin in the game.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, he seems also just a kind of awesome troll. Have you ever read any interviews with him?
0: I have. I, I've, I've watched a lot of his hilarious. He's hilarious. Yeah, too. yeah you are, he was an amazing yeah. person. <laughs> yeah. Great uh, sardonic wit. And, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some people have criticized your use of this image because they don't mm-hmm. like the use of, this kind of imagery in association with antinatalism.
1: my young yeah. my young friends especially make so much fun of me for yeah really for having that image ahead, i feel like sorry. a reason to do something is to make young people cringe so i don't really feel bad about it so. <laughs> right.
0: i i also often employ the use of cringe in my antenatalist uh, artistic activism so i totally get you on that um totally <laughs> totally agree um yeah, I I do think it's appropriate iconography, nonetheless. But uh, you know, yeah, maybe, perhaps we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But um, I just wanted to ask briefly uh, about the the ribbon farm work. So you're not really doing writing for ribbon farm anymore. When you did write regularly, were you writing at all about antinatalism on on that site? Not too much.
1: Mm-hmm. I always felt odd because then Cat had like he might still just have like my my book is like on the sidebar of the thing, mm-hmm. and I was just like almost like. I don't necessarily want that to be the first thing people associate with every idea I have, but nobody cares. So who cares? I just felt like so blessed and that's a dumb way to put it, but like people really will just let you get away with doing your thing for so much of the part. Like it's, yeah, it's, I mean, if you, you kind of choose your audience and choose how you react to it, but I'm really lucky with the audience I have. And that, it was really cool. I feel like I got so much out, like, like really thanks to Venkat. Yeah. Those years that I was that I was writing some serious you know like 10,000 word piece or something every month almost and one of my one of my friends is collecting some of those in a book so that's that'll be coming out fairly
0: soon oh excellent that's
1: kind of fun just stuff and yeah stuff I haven't even like I forgot I wrote some of the times so
0: that's kind of cool very cool um,
1: sure. but yeah so I had this I had this weird experience where um so I quit smoking a couple of years ago and then I and I quit vaping because I started vaping from Smoky and you can't get the good flavors anymore, so... Yeah. Um, And then I gained a bunch of weight. <laughs> so, like, I gained, like, 15 months. And then I started... Have you heard of the keto diet? Like, everybody's yeah, keto Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, I started the keto diet and it, it cured my depression.
0: <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: so dumb and it's so embarrassing, but it happened. But... So, it also... One of the weird psychological effects of it, was with like within days. It was just amazing. It was like kind of like fasting. Like I would just had really good effects from fasting. And I was like, oh, maybe it's anorexia. But it's just like the same effect of fasting except you can still eat food. But it's okay. Just, <laughs> anyway, I don't know. So some people have similar results. Some people do much better with carbohydrates. But anyway. So one of the weird effects of this was just not feeling like pressure to write anymore. Like I had. Okay. Interesting. I don't know if it hasn't been a year. It's just a really long time where. I was just, you know, spending my time like going in the mountains and not having too many thoughts and <laughs> make, yeah. knitting shawls. And most of my thoughts would be connected to making new lace patterns or something. And it was just, cool. I don't know, it was, it was like having a different kind of brain. Yeah. I think there's all, all kinds of weird lovers we been pushed on our brains and we don't know anything about them. So, so yeah. I'm, I'm kind of, I've been writing more lately. I'm getting more used to writing within this mental state, but it was just like, I don't know, like I'm. I like writing to some degree, but it was also like, I, it was the have to do it thing. Yeah. Now it's more of a voluntary, like it's not a pressure to feel like I have to express this thing. I don't know. <laughs> really, oh, like an optional thing. Yeah. No,
0: I can understand that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you also have a personal website called The View From Hell. Uh, a number of people I spoke with were curious why this site was down for quite a while. It, it's nice to see that it's back.
1: I just feel like really exposed having old writings of mine that, were kind of ship post from like 2010. It just feels like silly to have. So, yeah, so rather than feel exposed, I kind of took it so I mean, I put now when somebody asks for something, I'll usually undraft it and make it public again. So, there's a few up there that and I have a couple different sites. I just try to like be low key and yeah. Uh, like I don't want to I don't want to be famous or anything. I don't want to be easily identifiable. There's a mm-hmm. million people named Sarah Perry. No one has any idea which Sarah I'm. Perry up so. i do not know. I feel yeah, I don't, I, I try, so Venkat, Venkatashra, the Urban Farm, Rubin yeah. Farm co-creator, he has this, he, he's really into legibility from the, was it the James C. Scott book, but, okay. yeah, I try, I try not to be too legible, and, I don't know, I, I don't like being attached to my whole internet history, like, God forbid I become attached to my internet comment history from, like, <laughs> 2004, or something like, I just, <laughs> I think forgetting is a really good function of (laughs) the
0: internet. Okay, so I have a number of questions submitted by the friendly antenatalist, who's somebody else that was also interviewed on this show, I think in episode nine, if I'm not mistaken. She's a big fan of your work. Um, I wanted to mention that she actually, one of the projects that she just finished was actually creating an index um, for Every Cradle is a Grave, which is really, really cool. I'll I'll send you the PDF. It's just, yeah, it's very, very awesome. uh, Just as a better way to be able to explore the work easily. Um, So she asks, and I have, questions from her kind of sprinkled into the whole thing, but do you have a personal preferred theory of normative ethics?
1: Oh, I, so I would have said kind of yes, but I've just, I've spent the past like six months being kind of blown away by how fake words are, <laughs> so it's, I don't know, yeah. like, I, like, so, so it's, it's mostly the ethnomethodology which comes out of phenomenology, which, comes out of this, this rejection of of idealism to some degree so something like um ethics like what is good i don't think i don't believe in those words i don't think those words have much meaning i think they're it's tempting to treat them as if they have meaning it's kind of a fun game even like i don't think it's wrong to do analytic philosophy it's fun as hell but
0: mm-hmm.
1: i don't really believe that, that is having an encounter with the world i think things like looking in someone's face and seeing how they feel based on your own experience with them is much more real than a word like good or ethics. And I don't, I just don't think you can zoom out and do it from that perspective. Like even, even as analytic as, you know, I think it's grounded in the first, the the main thing I know is what it's like to be me. Uh-huh. The main judgment I'm making is should I make more of that experience so it's right. somewhat predictably close to that experience and mm-hmm. that's where I really locate it. So it's not so much of a top-down like doing doing math theory of right. ethics, like utilitarianism it makes a lot of sense if you can predict everything about the world, uh, Consequentialist consequential utilitarian. Sure. Like, sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we have perfect information, we can do a lot of things and maybe someday that'll be relevant, but it's not relevant now. <laughs>
0: okay i don't know
1: I, yeah. I i i try and this is just a sort of a recent development of trying to get really small scale starting i think the antidote, anecdotes have a lot more meaning than a study if i have an anecdote from somebody i trust and know means a lot more than 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 sort of data whose source i don't know who's sure to, you know form of, form of presentation. I have nothing about So that's, that's kind of been the movement I've, I've been going toward. I'll probably okay. swing back the other way eventually, but <laughs> okay. I'm exploring, exploring this side of it, of nebulosity, and trying to figure out what we mean by abstract nouns. And...
0: Okay. Yep. What is your position on free will and determinism? And is there any reason why you did not include these concepts in Every Cradle is Grave?
1: I kind of think they're like boring (laughs) i don't i don't have a lot to say i think there if anything there may be like concepts that make you think about things worse i don't know people have fun playing that game of is there free will is there not free will i just don't think it makes any sense for what i care about so there, there you know there was a time maybe in 2008 when i would have had an opinion on that but i don't know a uh there's there's animal reality there's there's yeah what it's like to be in a person i don't know if that's will. i don't know i mean there's there's the regularity of the observations of physics but i don't yeah I don't, it's, it's almost like if you ever if you ever read stuff from like the sixth century and it's just so alien like it's just like how does this argument follow yeah like what you just said a and b and then you derived c from it, it just it's kind of like that for me. Like, I just can't, like, there was a time when I could follow it, I can't follow it anymore. It doesn't make any sense. Like, it's right.
0: Right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Are you an atheist? And how did you come to that position? Should antinatalism and promoting atheism be a part of antinatalist activism, in your opinion?
1: I'm an atheist. Yeah. Um, Atheist activism is so cringy. Don't do atheist activism. <laughs>
0: so well, the community hasn't done itself a lot of favors yeah. a, a lot there's, of the times. There's
1: so many. Yeah. There's so many good things you can do that are not worshiping a god that are not. <laughs> doing atheist activism. No, I don't. I don't. It's fine. That's that's a fine game. I think people had a lot of fun playing that game in like the eighties and nineties. So why not? I mean, if people are still interested in it, obviously it's a good game. So. Okay. So, um. Yeah. Uh, I feel like there's interesting criticisms of atheism. the, how much easier it is to con- to conceive of simulationism than it is to conceive of God. Um, I don't take beliefs very seriously. I don't know what, I don't know what God is. I don't know what that means, but, but, uh, it's not a life hypothesis for me. And I think that's partly developmental, just like how you grow up depends. That's, that's, what's going to be the possible life hypotheses. Okay. And, you're probably not just going to have some wild thing become a life hypothesis late in life, unless it already sort of has the plausibility structure laid for it. Like, people around you believe something similar. And-
0: so I wanted to talk a little bit about suicide, uh, the right to die. Uh, you write so much about uh, so much, so much good stuff about the right to die in your book. <laughs> there's so many different ways we can proceed, but I mean, how, how, in your opinion, how do you think right to die activism needs to proceed from here? What do we do and how do we, what needs to happen first, I guess?
1: Well, I think the front line is in, is in the hospital. Like one thing, yeah. one thing I've seen my, my grandmother died a couple of years ago and she had a Sorry. long period yeah. of, of being not, not together, not herself. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and my mom said that at one point she was in the hospital after a fall she had had a stroke and she had a dnr and the surgeon had just threw it across the room (laughs) like it wasn't even it didn't matter i think that's kind of the front line like like are is it worth the paper it's printed on even if yeah to the extent that there are laws i mean there are some laws already but how do we make sure that's yeah i mean and i think that's an individual basis like you're doing you know patient advocacy for yourself and for for the people you can help around you making sure people have advanced directives and also making sure that they're enforced, to be so that they can be. And sometimes it's just not possible. I mean, there's, yeah, I think there's been a lot of progress. It's been a, a better couple decades than I would have thought, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know too much about politics and, and making laws and stuff, but just in terms of like what, what can people do? Well, um, who's dying around you, you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's maybe the level in which you can help rather than uh, trying to write letters to Congress people. Maybe that works. I just don't know about that. kind of mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's never going to be a popular cause. You have to accept that. Like the culture has to change before the law changes. And I think it's better <laughs> if it goes that way. I think I actually I think I think abortions a very important right I think it's it's morally required in a lot of situations but absolutely I think yeah. it would have gone better if the states had been allowed to legalize it slowly on their own I don't think mm-hmm. we, we might not even have an operation rescue if that had been allowed to happen so instead of Roe v Wade if it had been allowed to sort of naturally do that mm-hmm. I think that will be a better long-term solution for right to die stuff if each state kind of adopts its own policies people are looking around seeing the old people around them picturing themselves in that position i think the culture changes slowly the laws follow that's maybe a better long-term solution and different states having different laws is is fine like i don't i don't think every state has to be the same but um but i think it's so unpopular if you look at surveys of of what what people think is moral and immoral suicide and right to die stuff tends to be at the bottom so i think there needs to be some degree of culture change before democratic democratic action's really possible
0: yeah i think the culture does need to change you know i think we need like young people involved in it which is obviously extremely hard do you see any hope Mm -hmm. of that kind of happening of getting like different generations or different age groups i I, I I, say yeah
1: almost all the young people i know are pretty pro right to die i feel like there's a generational shift not all of them but i feel like they i don't know the, the young people i know seem to be they, you know, they have older parents, older grandparents, they're seeing what aging looks like. I don't know. I think, yeah, it's not, it's not a uniform thing, but I think it's more of a, there's, there's at least a large cohort of, of young people who, who kind of take that seriously. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know about, about activism. It's just, like I don't want to be preached to, uh uh-huh. people telling me what to do. I like having a conversation with people. Like I don't sure. Like if they have yeah. if they have weird ideas, I want to know what their weird ideas are. So yeah, I don't know. So I don't know. It's hard. It's it's almost like I'm like judging people for taking something really seriously, but.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't, I just don't know anything about it. I don't know, That's <laughs> I don't okay. know how it really works. I don't know how, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I appreciate that. That's all right. Um, I just out of curiosity, I mean, how do you think the subject of antinatalism might help or hinder the advance mm-hmm. of, of right to die activism or, or just its pr- progress in the world, mm-hmm. if any? Yeah, yeah, I don't
1: know. It's because yeah. people, I think, I think people. Take them as related issues. And I think they are related issues. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have to judge one one way on one, and the sort of the, a consistent way on the other? Is is it? You know, I think I think people can go either way on either one. So I don't know if one has to has to imply a particular belief in the other if they would affect each other. But it's it's always it always seems like it's really path dependent in the sense that you never know. Like there might be some particular work that joins the two Mm -hmm. makes them now, you know, now they travel together like two, two ideas that were separate enough Um, or the, you know, does the opposite process. I think mostly, mostly they travel separately. So (laughs) Um, yeah, but also, also how, how they reflect on other things. Like i putting those two together. Like there's so much more to suffering minimization. Like, yeah. uh, Like, ending the drug war and ending the fda and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, so yeah i like to look at those together but also say there's there's this huge other world of uh if if we take if we take suffering seriously there's yeah there's a lot of other stuff i think i'm one of the only antenatalists who's not a vegan
0: <laughs> yeah oh well, i wanted to ask you about that yeah <laughs> obviously that's that's probably the most uh Uh, contentious battle within Uh, antinatalism is is, is vegan or not my mom is oh okay interesting
1: she she will probably be listening to this but okay i (laughs) I have not i i i do so much better on a meat-based diet that it's i just i don't know i feel like once we can get the 3d printed beef together everything will be great (laughs) yeah for me for now the the balance of harms is is i need to eat meat and i prefer to eat meat and. I mean, I grew up, my parents grew most of our food. My dad hunted deer and we we raised a couple of cows and some rabbits. And so I I don't think that so, that, so one of my friends likes to use the term moral hypochondria.
0: Okay. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> like being really afraid that every particular action you do has some sort of bad effects. And I try to avoid that. Like, I mean, with with eating meat it's 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 so like visceral it's so what's like almost emotional like you see the little bunny or whatever uh-huh. but but i think there's there's so much like it's there's so much worse stuff too <laughs> i mean like nature is horrible nature is like the worst thing in the world so yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know i i take the i take a big enough reference class that it doesn't seem like an unforgivable thing especially given the trade-off with know feeling feeling good and not feeling good so
0: well i don't i don't think yeah i I don't think that there's any like absolute obligation to be a vegan and be an antinatalist although i i guess uh, if you don't mind me saying i I was a bit surprised that you weren't just because you you are uh, you are an antinatalist that does condemn nature which i definitely want to talk to you more about in in the future and actually i was uh, upon second reading of your book i was surprised by how much you condemn nature because i just have for some reason uh, amazingly i hadn't quite picked up on that the first time so That's definitely want i like to yeah
1: yeah what what i tell you, some some people are anti for kind of like environmental reasons and sure. so I, I always feel bad like oh no like i i think the dolphin should go away too <laughs> Because yeah, I think we need to get rid of the apes and the dolphins.
0: Well, perhaps we should get on that subject now. Then, so I, I am also of that opinion. Um, I'm curious. Uh, be- well, before we go totally into it, I mean, do, do you have any familiarity with the term ethylism?
1: Yes. E-F-F-I-L? Okay. is that the is It's the- life
0: spelled backwards. Yeah. yeah. Okay. E F I L I S. I've heard of
1: that. Who is the who is that associated with? I think there's there's
0: one guy who's It's And Mendem. Yeah, he he's he uh so basically it was a reaction to um antinatalism that only de- dealt with human life. So mm-hmm. David Benatar, you know, he mentions the animals, he brings them up a little mm-hmm. bit. He does consider them part of the equation but he did make the decision to separate them and most of better never to have been Mm. is an anthropocentric Mm. book um and so ephilism was a direct response to that and it's never separated it's basically antinatalism for all sentient life and Mm. it does argue for wildlife extinction wildlife interventionalism Um, and so i am an ephilist and I have been for a long time, um, and uh, you do say some relatively effulistic things in the in the book, which is um, so. You say things like, um, uh, "So sorry, let me just find the quote. Uh, why not spay spay nature herself?" Which I don't know how I missed <laughs> the first time. Um, <laughs> you, you know, which was a great quote. You know, um,
1: That's messed up. That's messed up. I don't remember writing it, but I love it.
0: <laughs> well, I, I I think it's a lot less messed up than most Thank would. You. So yeah, Thank absolutely. <laughs> so um so sorry, let me just so you would consider yourself at least on some level to be a sentiocentric antinatalist or perhaps on an ethylist. Yeah. I know you're not as familiar with that term, but yeah.
1: I think um when my husband and I joke about it, we generally say like you just have to like sterilize everything to make sure. Like maybe uh-huh. there's no maybe there's no suffering possible in microorganisms but you just want to take the flamethrower and go over it twice just in case so it can't arise again
0: <laughs> right 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 uh, so
1: it's not just the the suffering of the thing as it is it's what what will be in the future and i, I feel like the big the big risk to me is hu- human goes pan galactic <laughs> right i I, th- I don't think i don't think having the planet as it is, it, everything's going pretty well like on, on earth like people are having fewer children everybody's kind of i don't know chilling out and i mean more than more than ever in the, in the history yeah. of the world but, more
0: yeah more people are behaving yeah. as anti-natalists without yeah. antinatalism. <laughs> exactly even yeah, yeah
1: so yeah. so that's good but i think i think the big risk is you know humans getting off the planet and and spreading it around and that's it's funny too because because a lot of people that's like their dream and it's the the definition of what's good so and that it's true for a lot of my friends so yeah (laughs) it's kind of this tension of no we need to fling through everything or no we need to spread it around before it's but it's it's kind of that core that core troll i was talking about just the core what is you know what if that's good or what if that's bad that underlies everything
0: right right (laughs) Um, I mean, do you believe that we have a responsibility to the rest of life on the planet to do something about it before we were to take ourselves out of the equation?
1: Eh, I don't know, responsibility. (laughs) It would probably be nice, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I don't, it's it's all, like, fantasy, because it's not like we really have the capacity for that, but, um... But I mean, you could, you could look at it as, you know, how like the, the hippies like to sometimes say that we're, you know, we're evolving so that we're the, we're the universe becoming conscious. So uh-huh. maybe we're the universe becoming conscious so we can shut the shit down. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I mean, that's one story way to put it.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> well, a very common uh, thought experiment within Ethelism mm-hmm. and, and, slowly more greater antinatalism is the red button thought experiment. So if you were presented mm-hmm. with this magical red button and you've pressed, it would just magically turn the universe off. Would mm-hmm. you press it? And even if you would mm-hmm. not, do you think that it would be the right thing to do? Well, how would mm-hmm. you answer that?
1: I would love to, um, to do like social science in a lab coat and stuff and have like, a red a really dramatic red button had like subjects come in and tell them what it is yeah i don't i don't know i I probably would i think i think uh yeah as as a fantasy of course that's a that's a fantasy that 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 sometimes makes me just just feel calm like oh i could just you know Uh also just thinking about all the times the earth has been hit by asteroids Uh (laughs) uh-huh Is it kind of a meditation practice? For
0: me? Sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> okay. No, yeah, so I mean, so you, you but you you do acknowledge the suffering in nature and even though that hasn't necessarily uh, yeah. influenced your dietary practices. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I
1: feel like yeah. I feel like the suffering in nature and in the in the living world is so bad that eating eating only a vegan diet is almost like a like a drop of the bucket. And I feel like that's it's not the only sure. reason it's not it's not it's no. also just like for for your personal like how you look at yourself and how you treat yourself and like I don't I don't I'm not saying like it's silly like I don't feel that way my mom is a vegan I, yeah. I see her every day I see how she feels about like even not just like her dog and her rescue cats but like her plants she yeah. like will take people's plants and adopt them and I just don't I don't look down on that I think that's like yeah it's yeah. a way of living the very compassionate people like, that's, that's an authentic way of living for them. I don't think it would be authentic for me. That's not how I, that's not how I am in the world.
0: <laughs> I understand. I mean, I was one of the, I was a, a practically a, a garbage dump of, I mean, I, I ate meat, I've eaten fields of sentient creatures, let's put it that way. So it was, uh you know, I mean, I, I, I you know, it was really a difficult shift for me, but I've been a vegan for three years, and I think ant- antinatalism had a huge part in that and yeah and you're right i mean you know it's 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 a very small tiny 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 bit of any kind of even remote difference that
1: and it's a big sacrifice yeah i respect the sacrifice and its effect on you and yeah. Uh whether or not I think it has a big effect on the suffering in the world. Because I don't know what the suffering in the world is. So <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Okay. No. Yeah. Uh just one, one more question about that, because a lot of people wanted me to ask you. I mean, can you share the story behind the profile picture of you holding the dead chicken? Because I know a lot of people were quite oh, that like
1: <laughs> <laughs> That was just so my husband and I we lived in we lived in LA. I guess we'd like just decided to get married and we'd gotten a a big freshly killed rooster from one of the um the place store like in uh what's the San Gabriel? Like where okay. you can get like it's the the most dense Chinese population outside of mainland China, pretty much. So you can okay. get like beautiful freshly killed old rooster that's like has red flesh. Like he has red meat for Coco and so okay. he was I was very happy to bring him home and get him and I made him into Coco <laughs> It was just a, a nice memory, but I like, I like that picture of, of you with the chicken. I think it's kind of honest.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, a lot, a lot of antinatalists were like, you have to ask her about that. Cause it was so, <laughs> it was so offensive. So. <laughs> so anyway, I just had to ask. I'm sorry. I'm uh, yeah. sorry
1: for offending you. Yeah. It, <laughs> it offended Venkat's vegetarian too. It offended him. Yeah. So no, but okay. not,
0: not too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, just want to ask you a little bit more about antinatalism proper, um, how do we migrate people away from the life pro- producer addiction? How do we get people to find meaning in their own lives without imposing a need for meaning onto someone else?
1: Um, create good games, create good art, create good institutions, have fun, um, yeah. connect with people. <laughs> um, take the gifts of the world and turn them in your soul to something beautiful and share that. I don't know. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. There's, I, I don't, I don't think, I think the more you do that, like there's a lot of the reason I think fertility has fallen is opportunity cost, And a lot of it mm-hmm. I think is the is sort of striving status thing of waiting longer and longer to have a child who's going to be highly educated and be very valuable and be high, high status. But it's also just, there's so much else to do. So if you know people are if somebody's only going to have a child because there's like nothing else to do because they can't you know find meaning in life or find just you know something to do day after day or they just you know they're they're desperate for something to care about i feel mm-hmm. like if there's just other other options <laughs> the, the more the more excellent options of things then then the better i don't know i i struggle with it myself like like what do i do with this time that i have and Yeah. And it's it's a matter of, you know, having something, you know, enough things to do and enough things to occupy you that you have a a satisfying life. And and I've been lucky with it, but there's a lot of people who are not lucky with it. And I don't know, it's kind of like one I you know, one one uh what do you call it, like like vulnerable moment could change everything. So it's I don't know. Um I think living your life honestly. Is mm-hmm. is a way like like here's here's what my life is like and not trying to be like like I don't know witnessing for, for some ideology but just like here's here's what reality yeah. is, here's how I live. And I appreciate it when people with kids do that too. And they yeah. they're not trying to sell you on it. They're just here's what my reality is and for some people that's the reality they want. And if mm-hmm. they choose to honestly, why not? Like I'm I'm not gonna put my body between them and stop it. So um yeah I think people don't change their minds by persuading them I don't think it's more like I don't know maybe I don't I don't know I don't believe in arguments anymore that much like I don't believe in trying to like be correct and prove to everyone else that it's there's one correct thing but okay it's more like what what possible activities are you doing or what's 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 out there in the world that's that's more important i don't know
0: okay no okay um dana the friendly antenatalist asks um optimism bias is a proven powerful and often irrational oh, no yeah irrational influence on people's decision to procreate and is oftentimes uh installed in powerful human institutions like religion is there a reason you did not explicitly include this concept concept in every cradle is a grave
1: Oh yeah. So this is also something I've been thinking about a lot for the past six months or so that I've Mm -hmm. had this sort of indexicality revolution um, (laughs) that I don't, I don't think that almost any concept in psychology is actually real, like optimism bias, like to some degree, it's real. You can see it when it happens, when people are just like ignoring their fears or, you know, but you can also see the opposite. There's also pessimism bias. There's also other stuff i don't think you can just like have an instrument and go in a lab and say oh people are biased in this way there was a great paper recently i can't pronounce his name it was gerd Gigerenzer or something like that g-e-r-d okay. is a, a german guy um uh i hope it's german <laughs> I <have no> idea. <laughs> we'll find <laughs> yeah. out soon enough yeah his paper his paper is called the bias bias in behavioral psychology i want to say like that, but there's a really interesting argument about how kind of the idea of people being biased is overblown. That people are actually pretty smart and, and they and within their context and then mm-hmm. there's almost, it's almost like science is doing tricks to make people look stupid in unfamiliar situations. So I don't, I don't know, I feel like people are just people. They're all different. Everybody's weird. Everybody has maybe experiences that bias them or otherwise known as you've learned. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I guess the answer is I just don't take I think like I took psychology less seriously every year and now I'm down okay. to like there's so little that I take seriously <laughs> yeah. I've almost like tried to steal man the last dregs of of psychometrics and whatever whatever theories that still exist. So
0: interesting. I okay. Know. I feel
1: like I feel like we don't know anything about psychology. Like I I thought there was positive knowledge about suicide, but there's so little. Like I I've, Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've spent some time researching since I wrote the book just that how little can be said about suicide how every pattern you can imagine can be found somewhere and yeah it's, uh, it's really hard to find any kind of trend that'll that you, sometimes you'll find extremes in small populations but yeah so it's so hard to have to have positive knowledge everybody's hypothesis gets proven wrong somewhere there's some there's yeah. some group who's screwing it up so <laughs> I mean there's trends there's overall trends but Right, right. With age and age and stuff like that. But yeah, overall, it's just nobody knows anything. It's a, a suicide is one of those abstract nouns that I'm obsessed with.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do
1: even mean what? what even
0: is that? Right, right. Okay, interesting. Um, I know you spoke a little bit about laws previously. Um, in, again, this is a question from Dana, the friendly antinatalist. In Every Cradle is a Grave, you refrain from making any type of antinatalist public policy suggestions. If you could institute antinatalist policies to counter the cheery social policy <laughs> you referred to in the book, uh, what would these antinatalist policies be? Some examples, should parents be licensed? Should tax incentives for large families be limited? Should abortion or contraception be completely uh, state-subsidized? In the workplace, would child-free people be afforded the same amount of personal time off as parents? Should the pay gap between parents and non-parents uh, at the same job be corrected? Lots to think about. There's a lot. There's a lot. So... <laughs> <laughs> um. Do parents make
1: more than non-parents?
0: I actually wasn't aware of that um, yeah, I, 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 I frankly wouldn't be, be surprised, surprised. There's yeah. so
1: many there's so many ways it could be because it could be people obviously people selecting into having bear childbear, into childbearing who are having lower economic or income capacity yeah. but also potentially selecting into into marriage because they have higher income capacity so there's, there's just so many ways it could go yeah I don't, I don't know um, yeah. So public policy. I'm I'm pretty libertarian. I think the best thing that could happen mm-hmm. is that we make gene editing real legal and a real going concern, and maybe you have to save up for a really long time to have a, a child that can compete with the with the other children, but um, they'll be they'll be really good people. I think one of the things people most care about when you you look at surveys of what how would you gene edit your child is is to get rid of mental illness. So that's, that's, it's like, they don't even care about the superficial stuff as much as like, people really do care, you know, how happy their kids are going to be. So I think if you can, if you can set the market loose on that, it can, it would, it would be very good. I would like to, I mean, that's kind of a futuristic thing. Um, Cause I I just think there would be happier people and fewer people if that is kind of like taking education to an extreme, like instead of just having a child and then paying, you know, 20,000, hundred thousand a year to educate it is, you know, increasing as yeah. 20 years or something. Um, having this, this more, more one-time investment, but that's also more, you know, investing directly in the technology to make better people who will make better people who will, mm-hmm. whatever, hopefully making fewer people as they go along. I think that's usually how it works.
0: Right. Right.
1: The happier, the happier and better off people are, the, the fewer of them they have around. <laughs>
0: I think that's true. Yeah. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you briefly: <laughs> Are you familiar <laughs> at all with the term pro mortalism?
1: Yeah, meaning pro death, like. So so it's I it's a bit. I haven't really heard that, but that's a possible yeah, view. <laughs> it's a
0: it's a it's a it's a difficult term. I mean, the reason I bring it up is because uh, so I had a friend uh, Juun Huang, uh, or Juun Hung, I believe, is more how you correct, uh, correctly pronounce it, and he wrote a book called Anti Procreation. Uh, No, actually that was his pen name was anti-procreation and it was called procreation uh, is murder. And um, he was very influenced by you. you, Mm -hmm. Your Every cradle is a grave was one of his his biggest sources of inspiration. And we don't know specifically if he coined the term pro-mortalism, but he, it seems like he did. And Mm -hmm. it's, it it has a lot of different meanings. It's kind of a, it's kind of a crazy term that I've seen applied to every, Mm you know, circumstance under the sun where something dies. Um, but I I, th- I think the way that he meant it is that it is, it is sort of always better to, not only is it better never to have been, but it is always better to cease existing. Somewhat immediately, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it, it's, again, it's a term that I feel is uh, applied to too many things. It's greatly misused. Um, but I think there's a kernel of truth in it, at least to the way that he was expressing it. Um, so again, I just was kind of curious about what your thoughts might be on on that term and how you think it might differ from, uh, might differ from pro-death, which I also sort of um, is applied a, in a lot of circumstances. Yeah, sorry. But
1: There's an interesting theory that I, I can't think of the researcher right now who's, I think it was his, his master's thesis and then he might've done a PhD based on that, but it was uh, the idea that it was a sort of evolutionary psychology thing. The idea that many mental illnesses, what we think of as mental illnesses are adaptations to prevent us from killing ourselves.
0: Mm, interesting. Okay. So,
1: so yeah. you get depression, you get real still and real not good at anything and real incompetent. So you can't kill yourself.
0: Okay. You
1: so, it's a, so it's a little, a little interesting, but
0: that's, yeah, so I yeah, think yeah.
1: that's, that's maybe an extension of, of uh, a sort of, pro-mortalism baked into reality that if you become I, and I, I don't know how seriously i take it i just love the idea i think it's really funny yeah but, uh the more you make a conscious being the more obviously the choice is to just cease existing in any moment so you have to bake in all of these hacks to get it to not kill itself all the time i just think that's really funny to think of how much of a human being is that <laughs> it's just a thing that's been jury-rigged to not kill
0: itself <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay um yeah i i don't really have anything to add specifically about pro mortalism, um, but but yes, I I I'm always a little confused by the the just the term pro death, just because again it's, it's it seems to be applied to so much. Um, yeah,
1: Benatar uses it for abortion yeah. specifically. But yeah, yeah,
0: I've heard it. I've heard it apply. You could you could say yeah,
1: calling calling people death cult, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, just yeah. sort of a generic. Any any right. word can mean anything. But it, that's what words are They are to mean a lot of different things and using yeah. using a word as a move in a game and using it in a particular way so Yeah. So I know you're talk- like the worst I'm like the worst person to interview cuz you're like asking No, nope, not at all. Like, well, well, what are words really? <laughs> <laughs> Like every time, I'm
0: sorry. That's Please don't apologize. Actually, I have to tell you, I'm quite used to that in, in the, in the, in the antinatalist crowd. Everybody, everybody everybody says that eventually, so it's okay. Um, little, no, no, little not at all.
1: People people living in the abstraction bleeding edge. A little exactly,
0: bit. exactly. Every, yeah, no, er, everything has to be called into question, including the words we use. So yeah, no, it's more than fair. Um, no, I, I mean, you've spoken a little bit about, I mean, you're not um, super into the idea of activism but uh i mean do you believe we are living in a kind of a unique time right now with what's going on in the world and this oh, might be sort an of interesting a
1: interesting time yeah a very I, interesting time.
0: yeah i think we're kind of living in a unique moment maybe uh mm-hmm. for certainly the right to die probably mm-hmm. antinatalism where it's probably mm-hmm. like there's probably never been a more relevant time to fight yeah. for those things um yeah. do you agree with People that suddenly- or suddenly yeah.
1: People are suddenly having to think about the reality of nursing homes. And I think mostly we don't think about nursing homes and other forms of human storage, like the schools and (laughs) the places that we store humans, mostly behaviorally inert all day in institutions and, and rooms. And yeah, it's, it could be, it could be a very interesting time. I don't know. I'm not predicting more than a day out from this I never know what's gonna happen with the, with this stuff I don't know I don't but, either but it could yeah. be people are at least having having encounters with mortality and with yeah
0: <laughs> yeah I mean I know for a while they were talking about instituting like um universal DNRs mm-hmm. and um okay that's great but it's like there's never been a better time to like have a right to die. I mean, especially with yeah. the low resources, like, okay, you know, if somebody wants to just leave and not go through it, well, maybe they can have the mm-hmm. respirator that I would have had or.
1: Yeah. yeah. So
0: um, yeah, I, I, I would like to see people get more active during this time, although it's, it's hard to expect that of people, yeah. uh, you know, when everybody is uh, in a declining state, so to speak. So, yeah. yeah.
1: And people are, people are concerned with, consent to die like if people yeah. are going to be you know are they just going to be euthanized but i think people don't think about how what to what degree are people lying in nursing homes consenting to what's done to them in general like I don't, exactly I mean, I've, I've probably spent <laughs> spent a decent amount of time in in nursing homes when i have too when yeah. that's been necessary you know not not for long periods of time but yeah um yeah it's i don't i don't know how how voluntary that is like I I don't know it's it's easy to it's easy to keep people alive just barely it's easier than it is to to have the language and the and the I don't know ethical structure to deal with what the prolonging life means and yeah
0: (laughs) yeah it's extremely sad I mean when you take into account all the people who wouldn't be there because they would have made the choice to exit before they had to, you know, be in a situation where they leave their homes, and yeah, you know, it's extremely sad. Um, wanted to ask you briefly, uh, just another question about the podcast that you did with with uh, Nature Bats Last with Guy McPherson. You mentioned towards the end that you were interested in in the theory of humor, and I just uh, I was wondering, obviously that podcast was a while ago. If you'd continued to explore that idea and do writing on that subject,
1: um, I've written a couple things. I don't know if it was since then. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a at least one thing, maybe two things, about the the most the, the theory of humor that I, I was most excited about was the uh Dennett, Daniel Dennett's one of the authors yeah. called Inside Jokes.
0: Okay. That's I heard a, of that. Just a yeah.
1: beautiful, elegant evolutionary theory of of mirth and laughter and jokes and um, yeah, so I, I've incorporated that into into a couple things. I wrote one thing called On Some Possibilities for Life as a Joke that it was about, could you live your life as a joke? What would that look like? What would that mean? Um, obviously, it's great to write a very serious essay about <laughs> something like living your life as a joke. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I've read, I've read a little about that. I think humor is a big, one of those big things that's just a huge mystery that people don't, I think people act like it's not a mystery because they think they understand it, but it's so weird. <laughs> and I know there's there's a lot of things like that, like dreams and, yeah i don't know yeah yeah almost almost anything that you can bring your consciousness to though is something like that like almost every aspect of reality is something like that that's not normal like how do we take that for granted and then it'll (laughs) there'll be 20 other things like that right next to it so how do you decide what to take what not to take for granted
0: (laughs) right i see what you're saying yeah okay um okay so we're we're sort of nearing the end of of what i have prepared um I, i wanted to I wanted to, I think we've been speaking for about an hour or so. Um Great. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you just sort of what are you working on currently? Uh, I know you mentioned it a little bit in the beginning, but
1: yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to write, I'm trying to learn how to write fiction. So I wrote a third of a really bad novel, and now I'm writing a third of a hopefully slightly better novel. Okay. One um, set a few hundred years in the future. Um, kind of trying to figure out what do, what do people, how do people figure out what's true when anything can be defaked? um how do people deal with their lives when they live in a really rich and happy world and Mm -hmm. um (laughs) how do they kind of like the the epilogue concern like what does that even look like like they're they're almost actually at the end of history so trying to figure out what what living in that state looks like and yeah so i just i don't know i'm trying different things with dance art forms that they have
0: cool okay you know, it's
1: just it's just it's very freeing it's like i don't have to i don't know make and I, that's that's how my my style sort of evolved lately they're not trying to fit into any preconceived form that
0: yeah you
1: No, know, not be, becoming i guess less and less academic and more shitposty over time so
0: <laughs> well, so, so you're doing dancing yourself or or, or writing about it?
1: Oh, oh right awesome. both, both yeah. actually yeah. so it's so i've they have this the the people have this uh art form that's kind of a dance game where the the audience is not just an audience they're the crowd that sort of dances the chorus parts with the cool. the bigger people so so yeah. i'm trying to bring something like kind of physical to that so on my stupid little runs i'll be like dancing off the rocks and doing dances <laughs> and and everybody's so happy to see it they're just like yeah yeah <laughs> there's not many people out there but they're just like if, if somebody's like having fun and expressing joy everybody's just like applauding and <laughs>
0: well it sounds similar gonna, to like a call and response in um yeah. in, 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 in uh, improv <laughs> improv is it yeah
1: very kind cool. of yeah just and and yeah, yeah trying to be really present and how how do you actually react to this and how do you not disrupt and contribute to the whole storytelling of this ongoing dance form? very yeah, cool that's, that's what i've been thinking
0: about do you think you would do some of that like as an actual stage kind of thing or video? Oh, like, this no,
1: this is just my my form is writing, my form is just okay. although
0: I'm yeah. really interested. I
1: feel like the most important form right now is YouTube videos. Like that's yeah. what, that's a living art form. That's what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing it myself. I'm only interested in art forms that are like hundreds of years old and ancient, and, like like making shawls and novels. But, yeah. <laughs> but but I respect it. That's like where I get a lot of my ideas and, and sweet content and yeah.
0: Oh my god, I'd love it if you made there's- YouTube videos. People would go crazy. <laughs> People are like, Oh yeah. my god,
1: Sarah Perry's making YouTube videos. I feel like I feel like that's that's the most interesting form right now. And there's there's so many geniuses of the forum. For oh
0: yes. Really. Oh yeah. yes. Yeah. Oh well, I very much agree. YouTube is uh <laughs> YouTube completely changed my life. Just being a viewer mm-hmm. of YouTube completely mm-hmm. changed my life and just having that record of your own life as you continue you know, make videos for years and years. It's
1: and being able to learn almost anything immediately, like, by yes. watching somebody do it, having them explain what it is, like, whether it's some ancient craft or, like, fixing plumbing yeah. or something, like, it's so Yeah, cool. it's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's one of the best learning tools of all time, mm. for sure. Um, okay, wonderful. Uh, do you plan to continue to write about antinatalism at all? Or are you working on any other projects about AN or suicide or other topics of that kind?
1: I'm more working on language, like... hmm like what what are how how do we launder words like money laundering kind of like word laundering is my term for that and yeah. so that's so a more like philosophy language stuff i guess um still it's kind of like random like whatever happens to annoy me i'll I'll really focus on that so yeah i don't know whether it's domestic violence statistics one day or like i don't know it's clinical psychology the next day so Cool. I don't know. We'll we'll see. I feel like whatever whatever I get interested in, I usually write about. So. That's great.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, well thank uh, you. Thank you so yeah. much for
1: having me on. I
0: Absolutely, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I just wanted to ask you just one more question. Oh, sure. I mean, where can people um, find you these days and follow your York? Do you have anything that you wish to plug at all?
1: Oh no. Um, well, you can. It's Sarah doing thing on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Just singular, not things. Just the one thing okay um, s-a-r-a-h doing thing. um what else uh yeah i haven't i haven't written anything under my government name in a while i have like alts but there's okay so.
0: <laughs> and people can buy every cradle is a grave just on amazon they can. correct yeah they can Absolutely. buy it
1: i believe on amazon okay fantastic yeah, got, oh my gosh it got it got mentioned in what was it no i can't i think it was the new yorker there was like just a brief <gasps> really? mention just recently and, no, it was, it was like a year ago, but it was very oh, okay. exciting to me that it was, yeah. I was like name dropped in.
0: Nice. Nice. Anyway, right. <laughs> I know nice. that I saw it um, mentioned <laughs> at least a few times in relation to Raphael Samuel. Mm-hmm. Actually, it might've been because of that, because there was so much, you know, press around the subject. So mm-hmm. maybe it was from that. So yeah, that's well, congratulations on that. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> I, I love, love being, being acknowledged by the mainstream media.
0: Oh Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good feeling. <laughs> That's great. Make sure to follow Sarah Perry at Sister Sarah at Sarah Doing Thing on Twitter. Read her work on both ribbonfarm.com as well as the viewfromhell.blogspot.com and purchase Every Cradle is a Grave on amazon.com. It's that time again. It's time for the annual Why Are You an Anti-Natalist contest. Now in its 6th year, For the last five years, antinatalists, both established and brand new, have been submitting videos and written responses explaining their answer to the question, why are you an antinatalist? This year's contest will host three categories, videos or written responses from established antinatalists, videos and written responses from new antinatalists, and video and written responses from people making an argument against antinatalism. All forms of anti-procreative peoples are welcome to submit, be they child-free, vehement, ephilist, or antinatalist. I'm starting the contest early this year, and we will run longer than usual, so your current submission due date is June 15th, though there will likely be an extension. Once the due date is passed, we'll vote on winners for all three categories, and each winner will win a prize. Can't wait to see everyone's submissions this year. If interested, visit my YouTube channel, Forever Films, for more information. Thank you for listening to the Exploring Antinatalism podcast. Once again, this has been Old Fan. You can find me at Wolf Films on YouTube, as well as keep up with my daily antinatalist news updates at Antinatal News on Twitter. Please follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and email us at exploringantinatalism at gmail.com. The podcast can be listened to on our YouTube channel, Exploring Antinatalism Podcast, as well as Buzzsprout and iTunes. We also have a new website still under construction, www.exploringantinatalism.com podcast artwork donated by the incredible life sucks all the best and bye for now